The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. This is Chad Young, as always, here with Pete Ball. And Pete, we are up to episode 85, and we're on to our middle infield preview, looking at our top 10s at second base and shortstop for keeper leagues. Before we get to that, it's been like, it's been a long time since we recorded, because we recorded our last episode was that that draft we did, and we recorded that early. So it's been like, it's been like weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's felt like a really, really, <laughs> feelings mutual. It, it's, I mean, hell, we did an entire mock auction slow rollout thing in between you know you did last but i didn't i haven't finished yet i'm still going <laughs> oh wow i, I got uh who's left well you know the last of the 480 players <laughs> i'm uh i'm currently waiting so there are two of us going uh lucas kelly from Fangraphs and i are the last two standing i am currently waiting it looks like i'm about five hours assuming he doesn't outbid me <laughs> uh, from getting Ryan Nelson, Austin Wells, and Michael Massey. as my last three. I got super, I got super distracted with my tweets. So for the, those who follow me on Twitter, um, you know, and those who don't, you, you will now find out that I, we did this last year too. We did this draft and I'm putting out a tweet about every single player who is selected this is an auto news starter startup mock auction. So that is 480 players being selected. And I feel like last year it was like, I was focused on the draft. I was focused on the tweets. It was fine. This year I've just had like too much other stuff going on. And so it's like, Oh, I don't have, I, I got to do stuff about that draft. Wait, I'm supposed to send out those tweets. I'm going to go do the tweets. I'll deal with the draft later. <laughs> and it's been a weird draft as a result, but yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, Hey, so Ryan Nelson, I like that. Yeah, so we'll, you know, there are worse players to be adding at the end, I guess. I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, how did you feel how yours went? How, how are you feeling about your team? Uh, it, it was kind of weird for me. I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll break it down a lot more, but I lost Trevor Story um, midway through this auction, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about this took a lot of time to do, and I, I, bid, I, I felt good about my Trevor Story bid. I got him for 15 bucks, and then obviously I felt terrible about it, so... Um, I kind of shifted gears a little bit, but honestly, if I was going into the season with this roster, I'd feel pretty good about it. 
Yeah, I mean, looking at your lineup, you got Will Smith, Matt Olson, Jonathan India, Francisco Lindor, Luis Renjifo, A. Eugenio Suarez, and then your outfield, you got Acuna, Eloy Jimenez, Brian Reynolds, Nick Castellanos, Brian De La Cruz. Luis Garcia as your util is maybe not an ideal use of the util spot, but that's what you've got there now. And then your your rotation, Woodruff, Verlander, Wheeler, Freed, and Nestor Cortez. Your bullpen's really good. Devin Williams, Kenley Jansen, Rafael Montero, Carlos Estevez, Giovanni Moran. Looking at your bench, I'm trying to think like the most interesting names in your bench are... I mean, like Kelnick, Gabriel Moreno is really like, it'll be very interesting to see what those guys do. Um, got a couple of interesting prospects. Oh, I like what you did. I mean, I'll, I'll take that approval. I got, I, I was able to like, just get a bunch of really good players because I kept getting them on like $1 deal here, felt like $5 deal here. And so I just kept going in and in until I couldn't afford deals anymore. Yeah. That is what happens. So <laughs> anyways, we should talk middle infield and in talking middle infield, I'm going to, I'm going to start off with just a, an apology to our listeners, which is I was away this weekend. I was skiing with my family. I got this draft thing going on. I'm putting out rankings on fan graphs and I just never got around to making my top tens for this. And so we're going to do something a little different this week. Usually I read my list. I read Pete's list. We talk through it, what the differences are. This time I'm going to read through Pete's list and then we'll debate some of the guys and I'll sort of, I'm going to try to organize my list while Pete and I are debating. And at the end, I'll tell you where I've landed. If anywhere, we'll see how the sausage is made here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll start off with second base and to start off at second base, here's Pete's top 10 for keeper leagues. It's got, Jose Altuve, Marcus Simeon, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Ozzy Alves, Tommy Edmond, Andres Jimenez, Brandon Lau, Glaber Torres, Trevor Story. Is that still true at nine? And then you yeah, got Jonathan sure. India at 10. So let's start with Story. You're still, I mean, it sounds like he's not playing this year, or it sounds like he might play part of this year. It's, I mean, the, the comment was something about they hope to have him back this year. Anytime a team hopes to have a player back this year, I'm like, eh, he's not playing. Yeah, I mean, so with my flashing my medical license here, based on everything <laughs> I've read, this kind of surgery is like five to six months, which is kind of annoying that he didn't get it earlier. But apparently this was uh, Lou Merloni, former Red Sox player, was tweeting about it. He's a Boston sports personality now about how like it's not surprising that this is when these things come up because guys are starting to ramp up. You start throwing, you feel something in your elbow and you complain about it. And, and this is where you end up. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of all in. Uh, I don't want to say all in, but I'm still in on story as a fantasy asset in keeper leagues. I do think he'll be back this year, that five to six month timeline. Like, you know, that that could put him back even before the all-star break if we're if we're lucky here in Boston. So I, I hope they take their time. There's no reason to rush him back. But we're talking about a guy who was like a first, second round pick for basically four years. I mean, from 2018 to 2021, he was one of the best players in fantasy. And what people say is, yeah, well, that was in cores. I don't buy into that narrative. I, I think we've seen time and time again that players who play in cores, and you've talked about this in the past, Chad, they hit great at home because they should, but they actually struggle more than other players do on the road. And it kind of balances itself out. And how many more examples do we need from Matt Holiday to DJ LeMayhew 
I, I just feel like it's some Nolan Arenado who's competing for MVP awards now in, in St. Louis. I feel like at some point, if you're a good hitter, you're a good hitter. And so I, I look at that. I say Boston's a great place to hit. You know, he he is now, thank God, going to have Rafael Devers every year of his career here. And if this was the issue, the elbow, well, he's getting it fixed and he should be back. And so if we're talking keeper leagues, I still have him in the top 10. And I, I actually think he has more room to grow or to climb on this list than most names on there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just looking at, I, I pulled up on NFBC, the ADP from the last, it's really just the last four or five days since, you know, we're recording this on Sunday the 15th. The news broke on the 10th. So I'm only looking at drafts since the 11th and it's only six drafts. And this is like all NFBC, any format. Like there's just, there just haven't been that many drafts over the holiday weekend. Six drafts, his ADP, his ADP is 533.33. He is the 36th second baseman off the board. The second baseman going immediately before him are Brendan Donovan, Luis Garcia, your util in the draft we just finished. There you go. Uh, Wilmer Flores, Luis Renjifo, who you also drafted, Brendan Rogers, Nick Gordon, Chris Taylor, John Birdie. Like these are guys all going, like John Birdie went 200, is going 250 picks earlier than Story. So Story has completely, like people just aren't taking him. It's interesting to me that you're still sort of, you're that high on him because to me, when I think about these rankings and I think about how I'm doing this, yes, they are for keeper leagues, but basically what I'm doing is I'm saying for a keeper league, what order would I draft these guys? I'm not taking story as the ninth second baseman off the board. I'm not taking him before a guy like Jonathan India right now, because I think it's taking too much of a hit for this year. Even if I believe he's going to have long-term value. And I do, I think like we've talked about this before. He's, you know, the course thing, but also he's just, he's a good hitter. And Fenway is actually not a bad park for him. I wouldn't think he should do quite well in Fenway. And the fact that last year, you know, last year was a mess. He was, he was struggling. Then he was hurt. Then he came back and was doing really well. And then he got hurt again. And I mean, these things happen and it sucks that it happened to story. And I, I, it's, it's frustrating because I was really looking forward to seeing what he would do this year, but I'm not taking Trevor's story as the ninth second baseman off the board. I I just can't see doing it even in a, you know, obviously not in redraft, but even in keepers. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the reason why I wouldn't is because I'd want to compete this year, but if I can look at it from, you know, bird's eye view and I'm evaluating, you know, this year, the most heavy, but I'm also going to consider the second and third years. Like I, I still think Trevor story has that second round upside with the speed component. So like, yeah, I, knowing how I draft, if I was starting a league right now, a, a brand new keeper league, maybe I would take Jonathan India before him, but that's not exactly how I'm looking at this. That's my own, like, I want to win this year and kind of ignoring second year, third year, fourth year Got value. It. I think a great strategy, honestly, in draft, he's going 530, whatever. Yeah, I would wait to take a second baseman and then I'd take a Luis Renjifo with Trevor Story and try and piece that together. And you might end up with one of the best three second basemen in the second half of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm just not out on him quite yet. I want to hear more about the elbow. Yeah. And my guess is the reason is ADP, like the the way these things go is, you know, he's being drafted where he's being drafted. The news breaks, his ADP drops forever because right now, if you're drafting, especially in redraft, 
it's really hard to take him. Like it's just it's just so risky because we we still don't have that much information. Then over the next week or so, if information comes out and it's like, oh yeah, you know, yes, when we say we're hoping to have him back this year, we recognize there's some risk we might not, but like our target is you know July fifteenth. Then all of a sudden, people are like, oh okay, he's a couple weeks late. It'll actually be August first, but I'll get two full months out of him. But like, and it, he'll start to climb back up a little bit. So my guess is right now is the low point, but and I don't know. Let's go to the other end of your list. And and I think I'm going to start with this. Uh, for redraft, Altuve and Simeon, I mean, I'm looking at NFBC ADP over the last, let's see, two weeks, since January 1st. I'm looking at, again, I'm looking at all drafts because I want to make sure there's enough sample sizes. 22 different drafts. Altuve is going 34th. 34.23 is his ADP. Marcus Simeon is 35. They are less than a pick apart. And then there's a, a 10 pick drop before the next second baseman off the board. That's Jazz Chisholm Jr., who is going at 45.36. So there's a very clear and redraft one, two. My question for you, knowing how you feel about Jazz, <laughs> why didn't you move him up more? He's going uh, third in redraft, and you haven't moved him up at all here. It's just a well, 10 pick difference. Keep in mind, you know, it's one thing. I, my love for Chaz is one thing, but I also love Marcus Semyon, right? So yeah, that's a that's a really hard one-two for me there. And obviously, Jazz hasn't beaten age handedly, but you're taking one guy who, even though he's young, just had a stress fracture in his back. That's a scary situation there. That's an injury that maybe could linger versus Marcus Simeon, who's like an Iron Man. And so I, I look at second base, it's just such a poor position, and to me, those top two guys, Altuve and Simeon, just stand out so hard as like the two most reliable, useful options that I think I just had to automatically kind of give them a nod and then start going with upside with uh, with Chisholm. Yeah, and your, your point about being a, an Iron Man, I mean, Simeon, going all the way back to 2015, 2015 was his first full season. He played 155 games. The next year, he played 159. Then he played 85. He had some injury issues in 2017. Then 159, 162, 53, which sounds bad, but that was a 60-game season, so 53 was pretty good. 162 last year, or in 2021, 162, and 161 this past season. So yeah, he just he is out there every day. And so there is obviously value in that. And over that time frame... I mean, you know, he's had, he's been sort of had some up and downs. Like one of those seasons, he had only 15 home runs. One of them, he had 45, but he's been around sort of 25 to 30 on average throughout that range. He's also stealing you mostly in the 10 to 15 bases range. Then this year he stole 25. So maybe there's more speed there than there used to be. Maybe he's just willing to run more than he used to be willing to run. Could be a team thing. So I, I get it. You know you're going to get value from him, and and that's that's super valuable. And, and similar with Altuve, he hasn't been quite as reliable in the games played, but you know he gets out there and and hits. Altuve will be 33 early in the season. Simeon will be 33 late in the season. And I, so I haven't been as high on Jazz as you have. I'm starting to to, to get more and more interested in him. Uh-huh. Drinking the Kool-Aid. I sort of look and it's like, I don't know. He doesn't project. He doesn't project to be that much worse than those two. Maybe not even worse than those two. It just depends how you how you line up the values. I mean, 
if I look at projections for Simeon in a five, or let's start with let's start with Jazz. I've got his page up now. So Jazz, his projections for a five by five league, and I'm looking at his his Fangraphs page right now. He's got the bat, the bat X, steamer, and they're all around like 23, sorry, 22 to 28 ish home runs, somewhere in the mid 20s in home runs, 25 to 30 stolen bases, roughly 240, maybe as high as 245 average. Runs and RBIs, they're you know they're saying eighty-ish runs and seventy-ish RBI, which you know that team is not very good. If if I go look at Simeon and I compare that, looking at you know twenty-five-ish home runs and sixteen stolen bases, so similar home runs, a lot less than stolen bases. Two fifty average is better, but it's not that much better. He's he's closer to eighty-five to ninety runs. And closer to you know eighty ish RBI, so better on that front. Altuve is looking around. Let's see again, sort of 24, 26, 27 home runs, closer to ten to twelve stolen bases. He's obviously gonna have the best average of the three. Like they're looking at you know two seventy five ish average, and ninety to hundred runs, eighty ish RBI. So you know Altuve is the one who stands out in those projections in terms of this year, except not in stolen bases, and we know those can be. You know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen, but they can be hard to come by. But Jazz is not that far behind them and has almost a decade on them in terms of age. And so now the difference here is his projection is likely far more volatile, right? Like that's Altuve's projection. Yeah, it might be a little high. It might be a little low, but he's gonna be close to that. Same thing with Simeon. Jazz, like he could be way better than that. He could be way worse than that. It's it's just hard to, it's a little bit harder to piece together. but. I don't know. I think I'm going to end up moving. I think I'm going to end up moving jazz up. I just don't know where to, I, I think I would take him before Simeon in a redraft or in a keeper. Yeah. I, um, I don't think I would blame someone for doing that. Honestly, I don't think I'd blame someone for taking jazz over Altuve in a keeper league, depending on how much you want to, you want to bank on the age. I mean, I, I again, I, yeah. the back injury does bother me a little bit. The swinging strike rates brutal. And frankly, like he's a great, he looks like he's going to be a great fantasy player. But when you have a below average league walk rate and you're striking out 27% of the time, like something's going to have to change in his approach. And if it does, is that going to result in less power? And now all of a sudden we're talking about like, you know, a 2020 guy, which is still great, which I'll I'll obviously still take. But I I think there's going to be a little bit of a change in his profile over the next few years because of changes he's going to have to make at the plate. Um, and so with how hard that is to project and, and it's one thing to identify projections, but Semyon and Altuve have actually done it. We've yet to actually see jazz put together a full, great top three, second baseman fantasy season. Um, so on track record alone, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable still having Semyon and Altuve up there, but talk to me next year and I'm sure that'll change. Yeah. I think I'll say this. If, if, if jazz Altuve and Semyon all basically hit the projections I just read off, then in a keeper league, Jazz is the right choice. If that happens, right? In retrospect, we'll look back and be like, man, they were all close enough that taking the older players didn't really make any sense. I should have taken Jazz. There's obviously no way right now to be confident that that is going to happen, though. Next guy I want to talk about, just because you know, part of this is like, I play so much auto new and I don't play as much five by five. And so this guy is not as interesting to me because of that. That's Tommy Edmond. I mean, Edmund, you know, he had a pretty good rookie year, 2019, and then, but it was half a season, and then had a couple of, 
you know, offensively pretty mediocre years and then a pretty solid year last year offensively, but he has stolen over the last two seasons, 62 bases and been caught only eight times. So it is, it is obvious in five by five where his value is coming from. It is not from his, you know, 11, 12 home runs a season. It is not from his 260 to 265 average, which is good, but not great. It's all those stolen bases. I'm so you've got Edmund. Let's see, you have him fifth on your list. Here's my concern with Edmund, and I'm, I'm curious to get your reaction to it. One is I do think there's gonna be more stolen bases in baseball this year, which is gonna make every individual stolen base less valuable. And I don't think that Edmund's about to steal 40 or 45. Like I think he I think he'll probably steal around 30 again. I also don't think he's actually a very good hitter. And because I don't think he's actually a very good hitter, I think there is some risk that he gets displaced and ends up in a utility role. Now, this past season, he had 5.6 F4 because he was great defensively in addition to being very good offensively. Like if that continues, he's not going to get displaced. If his offense and defense both settle back to where they were the last couple of years, like it's a little bit riskier. Yeah, like he was basically a three win player the last two years. That's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But it's a player who could get displaced, especially when their offense isn't very strong. On top of that, being you know 27 early next year, he's going to turn 28. Guys tend to run less as they age, and he's not old, but he is getting into that phase where he might run a little less. So those are those are all my concerns. I guess my question is just this: Are you are you not concerned? Do you not worry about that stuff, or do you think it's just not not going to come biting him yet? Um. I, I'm not so sure it's going to come biting him yet. I think there's stuff to also look at Edmund optimistically. Like, yeah, I mean, we may look back in 10 years and say that 2022 is Tommy Edmund's career year, but that doesn't necessarily mean he can't live up to, you know, fifth of my rankings or anything like that. He did post a career high walk rate. Now it's still a below league average walk rate at 7.3%. But like, that's what you'd want to see if you're, if you're, St. Louis, like, all right, this guy's heading in the right direction in terms of getting on base because I do think being the leadoff hitter for St. Louis is what's giving him a lot of his value. But the shift is also going away. Now, he, as a lefty, he was only shifted 40% of the time, but when he was, his WOBA against the shift was just 260. His WOBA with no shift was 345. And I think for players who put the ball on the ground a lot, like Edmund, and use their speed, the ban of the shift is is going to help them more than some of the other guys. So even if his numbers start coming back down to earth, I think that should help keep him elevated enough and give him those opportunities on base to continue to steal bases. So I, I kind of expect, like you look at steamer projections for Tommy Edmund, 13 homers, 86 runs, which honestly might be a little low. 62 RBI, 27 stolen bases, and a 263 average. I'd say that's that's probably about right. Like I, I agree with those projections, and it's tough for me to, having seen him now do this twice, say that I'm out on him, even though I never end up with this guy. I honestly don't know if I've ever rostered Tommy Edmund. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That all makes sense. So back half of your list, Andres Jimenez, Brandon Lau, Glaver Torres, we talked about Story and Jonathan India. You have on your list, if I if I look at that ADP list I was looking at before on NFBC, you have nine of the top 15. You have nine of the top 14 is really what you have. The one guy 
outside the top 14 that you put is Story, who we talked about has been you know plummeting for obvious reasons. Here are the other five of the top 14 you didn't put on your list. And I'm curious to know from you, who of these guys, any of these guys, when I say their name, you're like, oh man, they should have been on my list. Or if not, who do you like most regret? Who's the one who's like, was the hardest to leave off? And so here's those names. So you have all of the top seven, Altuve, Simeon, Chisholm, Albies, Edmund, Jimenez, and Torres. Number eight is Max Muncie, not on your list. Number nine is Jorge Polanco, not on your list. Number 11 is Vaughn Grissom. 12 is Brandon Drury. And 13 is Tyro Estrada. So Muncie, Polanco, Grissom, Drury, Estrada. All in the top 14. They're all going, they're all They're all in the top 13. India's 14th. So they're all going ahead of India. A couple of them are going ahead of Lao. Left them all off. Any of those that you're like, man, now that I hear their name, they should have been on there. Uh, no, not really. Um, the one that I'd go with for this answer would be Von Grissom, just because there's such an element of unknown there. Atlanta just seems like they can't miss with calling up prospects. They trusted this kid right out of double A. The fact that they're not in on Elvis Andrus, they're not in on any of these, you know, available infielders or players that were available. They just kind of said, all right, yeah, see you later, Dansby Swanson. Like that kind of tells me there's a lot of confidence in this kid, unless they're like feeling amazing about or is it Orlando Arcia or is, or is Oswaldo Arcia that's that's with Atlanta? I don't know. I can't remember. But my point being is it seems like they're pretty all in on Vaughn Grissom. And even if he's batting in the bottom third of the lineup, which I'm sure he will at least to start the season, like that's still a pretty good lineup to be to be batting in. And it's not the old NL. He doesn't have the pitcher batting behind him. So right. that element of unknown and youth kind of makes me choose Vaughn Grissom. But the other four guys, except for really Tyro Estrada, if I'm remembering correctly, are kind of trending down for me. So I'm going to, I've now sort of pieced together my list as we were talking through this. I'm going to read that off and then we'll talk about a couple of quick other second base things before we move to shortstop. My list, I'm still putting Altuve first. I just think he's the safest and the best and I, I can't move him down. I am going to take Jazz over Simeon. I, it's it is hard for me to do, but Simeon's Huge been day on keeper cut. <laughs> I know as good as as good as Simeon's been, he's been hot and cold at times, yeah. and so it gives he just like the thing that Altuve brings that the other two don't is there's almost no risk. I say that, and of course now he's going to go have like a terrible season or something like that. But like among all the players out there, Altuve is is relatively not risky. Simeon, there's enough risk there. I'm like, you know what, I'll I'll, I'll I'll push Jazz up. I I don't know. I may regret that, but that's what I'm doing. I'm putting Andres Jimenez, who we haven't really talked about, fourth. I, I think, you know, maybe this is my my Cleveland colored glasses that I've got on, but Jimenez was awesome last year. And I actually think he has more power potential. He's you know, he's not a super strong guy, but he is he's tapping into some pull side power in a way that feels reminiscent to me of Jose Ramirez. Now, I don't think he's as good with the bat as Ramirez, and I don't think he'll be able to get around on pitches like Ramirez, but I think there's, I think there's more power potential there, which means he's the kind of guy who, you know, could put up a 25, 25 type season, which starts to put him into that upper tier right now. I think he's a tier below, but I think he's the top of that next tier. 
I've got Ozzy Albies after him. Vaughn Grissom, I'm going to put all the way up at sixth. All the things you said about Vaughn and about Atlanta and how they develop people, I just, I'm a big believer of his. Brandon Lau, seventh. I've got Edmund down at eighth for the reasons I talked about before. Glaber Torres, ninth. And then Jorge Polanco, I have 10th. I just, I still believe, I continue to believe in Jorge Polanco. And I don't think there's anyone else. Like, you know, I look at, at Polanco and the other guys you consider there are like Max Muncy, but he's, not young and was really struggling for a while last season. Brandon Drury, who I don't believe in at all. Tyro Estrado, who I think is fine, but doesn't have any sort of interesting, exciting upside. Uh, and India is probably the one who's the hardest one for me to pass on there versus Polanco. And I could see going either way, but I think Polanco is the better hitter of the two. And given they both carry, they, they carry different kinds of risk. I think for India, it's more performance risk. For Polanco, it's more health risk. But since they both carry risk, I'll go with the guy I think is the better hitter. So with that, let's talk best ADP value, worst ADP value, and a prospect to stash. Your best ADP value, you listed Cattell Marte going at 210. <laughs> I thought yeah. you were done with him. <laughs> I, I thought I was too, and yet I have him in like, I've drafted four teams this year if you count the mock. Um, and I think I have him on two of those four. So for some reason, I just can't quit him. I, I feel like there was a lot of bad luck involved last year. I think Arizona's offense is going to be a lot better next year. He's a player they, they continue to want to build around. He seems like a foundational piece for them. So I'll, I'll hold out hope that there's still potential there. And he just seems like the complete package when he broke out and, and all the underlying stuff kind of suggested that it was legit. And he's still not even 30 years old, even though I feel like we've been hearing about Cattell Marte for so long. So if I do miss out on my big second base targets, I actually kind of like that there's a player who I could absolutely see bouncing back to being a top five second baseman available for me outside the top 200. It's weird seeing his name back there. Now, with that said, we're talking keeper leagues. If he puts forward another season like he did last year, I mean, that ADP is going to go from whatever it is, 205 to like, 305. I mean, he's he's going to mm-hmm. become useless. So there is a, a still a little bit of risk involved in a long-term format that he underperforms and then he's irrelevant for you. But I don't know. I have a hard time giving up on him so quick. I, I just think he's got a legit hit tool and he's done it in the past. Yeah, the guy I went with that, that I would go with here is Isaac Paredes from the Rays. If this, if we weren't talking five by five, if we were talking a an auto new league, something like that. Like I'm much higher on Paredes. I think Paredes is like the guy can draw a walk. He does not strike out very much. He makes good contact. He hits the ball hard enough. He's not like a super powerful hitter, but he, I mean, he hit 20 home runs in 381 plate appearances last year. So he hits the ball hard enough. I'll, I'll stick with that. And so Paredes is a guy who I'm like in auto new leagues. I'm really high on, but even in five by five, I mean, his ADP over those last couple of weeks, is 407. He is the 37th second baseman off the board. And I think that's just crazy. So I'm very happy. Actually, this is a great example. You were talking about how you, you know, if you, your best strategy might be to wait on a second baseman. If I could take Paredes with basically my last pick and, or my second to last pick and make my last pick Trevor Story and then be like, that's my second baseman this year. I think you're actually in really good shape having used no draft capital on that position. So I'm a big fan of Paredes. 
Going the other direction, worst ADP value. This one I struggled with a bit because I, at some level, it's like second base isn't good enough for me to be like, why would you take this guy when you can take this other guy later? Because everyone later is also bad. <laughs> so um, I think for me, and it's not even that high a pick, but like Whit Merrifield at 188, I, I kind of just think Whit Merrifield is done. Yeah. And I like, here's an example of like, why would I take Whit Merrifield when I could take Cattell Marte 30 picks later, 20 picks later? Because they both like, they both have had issues, but I think Whit's more likely to be done. You know, honestly, wait, wait another pick after Marte and take Luis Arise, and at least you're going to get some banked batting average out of it. Like, I don't know. I'm not a Whit fan. No, I'm with you on that. I'm surprised he's still going top 200. I, he's a guy who, like, honestly, I think he's at a playtime risk, right? I mean, he didn't play every day when he went to the Blue Jays last year, and roster resource hasn't penciled in as a everyday starting second baseman. But I don't know. Like, they got an all-star in Santiago uh, Espinal on the bench. So, I mean, right. I, like, I, I don't, I don't know if his job is all that safe if he performs like he did last year. Yeah. Who's the guy you would put as the worst... So I put I put Muncie, which could end could end up looking extremely stupid. I mean, at the very end, it looked like he was finally, finally getting his act together. I don't know if I buy that though. The eye at the plate is still great. He was still posting some decent exit velocities, but he's gonna be turning 33 next year. The Dodgers are a team that like they they lost some pieces, right? I mean, most notably, obviously Trey Turner. And so if they can't really afford to just let Max Muncie be bad and you know he was the example that you brought up a while ago in regards to the shift where like you can't really hide him on the diamond anymore either right like, you can't hide him at second base so if he is hitting poorly i could see him losing a ton of play time this year because you can't hide him in the field and the offense isn't good enough to hide him in the lineup and so if he's not performing he's he's got to go and there's too many names waiting in the wings for los angeles and one name i want to talk about that uh I think he's there's an there's a lot of risk taking him in the top 150. Let's talk about that guy because we're next next topic is our prospect to stash at second base and you picked a Dodger. Yeah, I went with a Dodger. So I went with Michael Bush, who uh, like my jaw hit the floor when I saw he's 25 years old. So first of all, Dodger prospect who's 25 years old and is on the 40 man roster. Like this dude is gonna get a chance this year to play. He's been in. He's been consistently an all-star throughout the minors. He played in the Cape League, so he's got a got a place in my heart for that. Some some strikeout issues in the minor leagues, but the Dodgers can iron that out. It's not like the guys blocking him aren't striking out all the time as well. The Dodgers are a team that's getting older, right? Chris Taylor, Max Muncie, and if they're looking to get some youth in there to revitalize this lineup, I think Michael Bush is a great option. Um, I do expect to kind of see him this year, and he has a lot of power, so... Yeah, I'm kind of excited about him. I took him in an NFBC 50s with my last pick earlier today. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to go the other direction in terms of team. You're talking about a a very good team that is old and needs some youth. I'm looking at a, uh, I was going to say a bad team, but they're not actually a bad team. They're a, a middling team, I guess I would say, who is into their youth movement and is ready to sort of finish it off. That's Baltimore. And they've got a, a second base prospect by the name of Connor Norby. And Connor Norby... Last year, across high A, double A, and triple A, hit 29 home runs and stole 16 bases. He did that while hitting for 
relatively high averages. He had a, a low average in high A, but then had a high average in double A. And then he only had 42 plate appearances in triple A, but hit 359. He's got, you know, scouts like the hit tool. The the power, despite all those home runs last year, is more good than great. Good speed. He's a good fielder. Like he sort of does a little bit of everything well. And I think he's the kind of guy who could first of all, the the Jays or the Jays, the Orioles, I don't think have a I don't think they have their infield fully figured out for the future. And so there's room for him. And I think when he comes up, he's the kind of guy who can contribute sort of everywhere. He he may not, you know, I don't think he's gonna go 30 30 or anything like that, but like he'll hit for a decent average and he'll get you some home runs and he'll steal you some bases. And because of all that, he may hit high enough in the lineup to get you some runs in RBI as well. So that is the second baseman I would pick to stash. Let's take a quick break. and we come back, we'll turn our attention to shortstop. All right, welcome back. As as we said before the break, we're going to take a look at shortstop now and do the same thing we did last time. I'll, I'll read Pete's list and then argue with him for a little while while I figure out what my list is going to look like. So Pete, your top 10 at shortstop. You got Fernando Tatis Jr., Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, Bobby Witt Jr., Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Wander Franco, O'Neill Cruz, Xander Bogarts, and Dansby Swanson. And we're going to start right at the top here because I, is Fernando Tatis Jr. a shortstop? He seems like he's he seems like he's not a shortstop. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of put a disclaimer in there and put one honorable mention name who I'd, I'd plug in at tenth. Um, for when he does lose shortstop eligibility, because he is almost definitely not a shortstop anymore. Look, Xander Bogarts is not going to play shortstop for the next 11 years. But right. I, th- I think it's more likely that Bogarts does for a few years, and then it's somebody besides either of them, than it is that Bogarts plays it, and then they bring Tatis back to shortstop. I don't think that's going to happen. Tatis was not a great shortstop anyway. He had already moved to the outfield. But he'll have eligibility, and I just... That guy is just a fantasy god. Not that Trey Turner is not, but the idea of having Fernando Tatis Jr. on my Keeper League teams for the next three, five, ten years has me really excited, and I would definitely put him number one. That's not a knock on Trey. I just think everything Trey does other than potentially batting average because of the strikeouts, Tatis could do better, and he's so much younger. That's that's where my interest is there. Yeah, I think the big question, it's almost a philosophical question, with a ranking like this is, is this my ranking of shortstops, like keeper shortstops, or is it my ranking of keepers among players who are shortstop eligible? Cause those are, those are slightly different questions. And I think the, the big risk with Tatis is I love having keepers at positions that are tough to fill. And so having a stud keeper at shortstop is valuable to me. And so from that perspective, Boy, I don't know if I want Tatis first because then I'm I'm not really getting that shortstop keeper. I'm getting a keeper agreed because he could play you know, the way he hits. They could make him a full time DH and he'd be a valuable fantasy oh, yeah. uh, player. So, but I, I, I was sort of torn on that, so I have to see where he sort of ends up on my list. Looking a little further down your list, and you knew you knew that I was going to bring him up at some point because I always wanted to debate this guy, but. <laughs> Wander Franco, how confident are you he's going to develop into a particularly productive fantasy player? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I get that this is still the talking point with him because 
He doesn't have that one like fantasy skill that we look for. He's not, you know, Estuary Ruiz on the bases. He's not, you know, Fran Mill Reyes with the exit velocity. He's he's Wander Franco. But the fact that he's still not even like, he's been able to order a beer legally for 10 months. Like the the hit tool's too good. He's still so young that I still think he could develop into an elite power bat. I don't know if he's ever gonna develop that the speed that people for some reason thought he would that he was going to be like a 20 stolen base guy but the hit tool is so good that he could be a routine 325 homer player who scores a ton of runs hitting at the top of that lineup and it just seems like if he's healthy there's there's a bit of a safe floor there as well i think there's there's we get prospect fatigue on players a little too quickly and I'm not saying you have that because you've been very consistent in your your Wander Franco take for well, since we've started the show. But I think the fantasy community as a whole is kind of taking their eye off the ball a little bit with Franco and, and lost the fact that he's not like 25 now and we're still waiting for yeah. it. The dude is 21 years old. Yeah, I mean, from a, from a real baseball perspective, like it's still amazing to me how good this guy is this young and you're right there is a lot there's a lot of opportunity for development there there has to be with a 21 year old right his peers are in like you know a ball <laughs> like i mean he, it's it's crazy what he's doing that said i i still don't see i don't know i i think there's i guess i shouldn't say i, I want to be very clear about this I absolutely see the tools you're talking about and the potential for him to to develop into a into a guy who on a regular basis is putting up like a 320 average with 25 home runs and 100 runs and 100, 100 RBIs and then like 10 stolen bases, 8 stolen bases, something like that. And that is obviously an extremely valuable fantasy player. I just think the more likely outcome right now is, you know, a 280 to 290 average and 15 ish home runs with like six or seven stolen bases. And that's just not that exciting. And so, I, at some level, it's, it seems like a weird thing to say for a guy who is as good as he is. I just feel like the margin for error from, from a fantasy perspective is, is not big. Because the upside is really big, but without that carrying tool, like this isn't a guy who, if he were stealing 30 bases a year and we were like, we really think he could be a 25 home run threat at some point. He's only hitting 10 now, but like, we talked about Tommy Edmond before. If somebody were out there being like, Tommy Edmond could be a 25 home run hitter. I'd be like, wow, that's like, that's super impressive. And if it never happens, look what he already brings to the table. With Franco, I feel more like, the and if it never happens is like, eh, then he's only okay. I think, well, so I would like him probably in Roto more than I would in head-to-head because I think he's going to be a little bit of an accumulator, like in a per-plate appearance, at least in this early part of his career, per-plate appearance of, um, breakdown. Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be as good as your Bobby Witt Juniors or anything like that for fantasy, but he strikes out so little and hits so many line drives that if he can accumulate 650 plus plate appearances which he's gonna have to stay healthy to do that and he did not last year but if he can get 650 to 700 plate appearances with how little he strikes out and how many line drives he hits 
it just kind of makes sense that he'd end up with more home runs than you might expect, more runs, more RBI than you might expect because he's just putting so many balls in play. And it's not just that he gets his bat on the ball. He knows how to take a walk as well. And so if he can get the plate appearances, I think he would be able to post comparative counting stats to players who we might not expect him to because he's getting so many opportunities with the balls in play. Yeah. The other thing that, that I think is sort of interesting to think about with a guy who puts the ball in play that much. And this is the thing I feel like, and I've never before talked about anything like this in my fantasy life, but it suddenly seems like a thing you have to talk about, which is major league baseball changes the ball every year. And some year when they put a rabbit ball back into play and they will, it'll happen at some point. He's like guys who just put the bat on the ball all the time with some amount of authority. They're the ones who benefit when all of a sudden the ball carries a little bit further than you expect. And so some year when when we're in a homer happy year, you know, the league will hit 5% more home runs, but that'll be because guys like Wander Franco hit 20% more home runs and a bunch of other people hit the same number, right? And so that that piece is interesting to me. Let's talk about Bobby Witt Jr. I have I have railed in the past about his ADP being what it is, but his ADP is 8.5. He is the second shortstop off the board. He is a first round pick. You've got him as your fourth shortstop here behind Tatis Jr., Trey Turner, Bo Bichette. Now, this is a little misleading because when you look at ADP, ADP is in redraft and in redraft, it is obvious why Tatis, who's going to miss some time, is going after those guys. He's the fourth shortstop off the board in this ADP I'm looking at. But, I mean, you've got, you know, you're making a pretty significant drop for Wit in, in an area where I think most people would be like, oh, as good as Wit is in redraft, like in keeper, that's where he really shines. Yeah, I I hear that. I mean, you look at the names that are above him, and I have a hard time thinking that like I was super hard on him. Though, like, there's no question I'm taking Trey Turner and Fernando Tatis Jr. before Bobby Wood Jr. in any keeper league I'm in forever. Amen. I could totally see a debate with Bo Bichette. I would argue they're kind of similar to this point. And I think something that can get overlooked is like this idea of protection in a lineup because the idea of protection in a lineup is kind of a lost thing, right? But it, it, like it's not accurate. But when it comes to counting stats, like I don't think that Bo Bichette is getting so many better pitches to hit because he's in the Blue Jays lineup versus Bobby Witt because he's in the Royals. But when it comes to how many runs he's going to score and how many RBI he's going to have, that adds up. And so if Bo Bichette has 100 runs and 90 RBI compared to Bobby Witt, who's doing 80-80. Well, that's 30 extra runs plus RBI. That's actually kind of significant. So I think it's closer than what the field might suggest. And I don't think they're all that different of players. Bobby Witt Jr. really impressed with the strikeout rate this year. I thought it was going to be much higher. He was only at 21.4, but the walk rate was non-existent. And Bo Bichette's essentially the exact same thing. And Bo Bichette in the past, not the, the highest average exit velocities, but he was much better than Bobby Wood Jr. this year. As a matter of fact, he's in the 91st uh, percentile for average exit velocity with a good max EV and, and all that stuff. So 
I think they're kind of comparable, and I like the lineup context for Bo Bichette. So right now, I'm I'm taking him over over Bobby Witt Jr. in a keeper league, and I understand that probably means I'm never going to have Bobby Witt Jr. in a keeper league if they're starting up this year. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with with or the interesting debate with Bichette when you look about Bichette versus Witt is Bichette stole 13 bases in 2022 and was caught eight times. In 2021, he stole 25 and was caught once. So I'm very interested in what Bichette does on the bases this year. Because if you look at his career, you know, his first two years, 2019, 2020, it was only 75 combined games. He stole eight combined bases. He was caught five times. It's not very good, but you know, then he goes this this you know 2021 season steals 25 bases is only caught once, and then last year like I said eight caught stealings against 13 stolen bases like again that that is 13 stolen bases is not nearly as many as wit and if you're caught eight times at some point your team tells you to just shut it down right like but he clearly has an intention to steal it's going to be easier to steal bases this coming year than it has been at any point recently and. If if he's the kind of guy who, and his numbers suggest this might be the case, that he is just teetering on the edge of whether he's good enough to steal 25, 30 bases on a regular basis, like maybe that's enough to push him over the top, right? Maybe, and if that happens and all of a sudden he is, he is a better hitter than Bobby Witt Jr. I don't even think that's debatable. It shouldn't be debatable. He is a better hitter. Witt might become a better hitter at some point, but he hasn't shown anything like that yet. He's a better hitter than Bobby Witt Jr. He has shown more power, and I think he'll continue to show more power. He is in a much better lineup for those runs in RBI. If he can close that stolen base gap, it becomes a no-brainer to take Bichette first, and I think there's a chance he could do that despite what we're seeing from ADP. So I, I, I like that. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. I got two quick was, things for you yeah. on that because mm-hmm. the, the stolen base point is such a good point, but it was such a weird first half for, uh, for Bo Bichette. And although I like, I, I don't know what would explain this other than maybe there was, there was an injury or something like that, but, and he played 159 games this year before the all-star break, Bo Bichette stole seven bases and was caught six times after the oh, all-star man. break. He stole six bases and was only caught twice. So like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm breaking this down too much and, and looking too much into it, but he clearly turned a corner down the stretch last year where he literally won people leagues. They were able to hold out for as long as possible and, and he really turned it on. So I'm not, I I'm with you. I'm, I want to see what he does with the stolen bases this year. And another thing like Bobby Witt Jr.'s third base eligibility does make a difference for me. So like, this is our yeah. shortstop rankings and I have Bo Bichette ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. as a shortstop. When you factor in that Bobby Witt Jr. has third base, I would probably end up taking him for that reason at that position before Bo Bichette. Interesting. Well, I'm going to read off my list now because I've been sort of thinking through this and, and making some notes. And here's where I ended up. So I'm going to put Turner first. I'm going to drop to T. So you have him first. I'm putting him down at third because I basically decided that part of my shortstop list is wanting my shortstop and he may not be it. So Turner, Bichette, Tatis. You talked me into Bichette being above Wit. So I'll put Wit fourth. I have Corey Seeger fifth, O'Neill Cruz sixth, Lindor seventh. I had Wander. I wasn't even sure Wander was going to be on my list, but I'm going to move him up to eighth. You've you've convinced me that he he belongs and he he does. His, the talent is just through the roof. I've got Carlos Correa ninth and Dansby Swanson tenth. Correa, I I mean, what a 
first of all, we haven't even commented on this, but what a weird <laughs> offseason for him. The fact that he ends up back in Minnesota on a much smaller deal, I, I suppose from a fantasy keeper league perspective, I should be worried about his health given apparently <laughs> everything made out of styrofoam or whatever. Yeah. But right now, you know, I think the thing like there, there were some people who were like, oh, well, if he doesn't sign with the Mets, why would anybody sign him? And it's like, it's not about whether he signs with the Mets or not. Like all of this stuff is it's a risk analysis, right? How much am I willing to spend and how much risk am I willing to take on? And right now, over the last two weeks, and maybe this isn't fair to Correa because his ADP is probably going to get better. But over the last two weeks, he's going at 117 almost. He's going after Jeremy Pena, Willie Adamas, Tim Anderson, Wander Franco. And this is in redraft. And from my perspective, the cost to acquire him is so low. And the risk, while it's there, like, it's a keeper league. I just need him for two or three years. Anything beyond that, I'm not really like, overly concerned about and if i need to move on i'll move on like that's that's fine and so from that perspective i i think he i think he belongs on my list so that's why i've got him at ninth uh, yeah i had a hard time leaving off carlos correa but I, I i i won't lie the leg thing was a little weird to me um he is after all of these guys in terms of adp like in my eyes when it goes from correa to ahmed rosario there's a little bit of a drop off there at, at shortstop at least in terms of upside, I do kind of like Rosario's floor for batting average and stolen bases. Not that he was a consideration for this list, but yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, Correa was a tough omission for me as well. Got it. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about best and worst ADP values. Your best value, you went way down the list here. Yeah, you're you're almost outside the top five hundred. Almost. He will climb though. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. Oswald Peraza at ADP 479. And, you know, you go to roster resource, he's penciled in as the second baseman right now, uh, Peraza. Does that sound right? Yeah, because it would be, I don't think they're going to put Glaber back to short, whatever the case may be. Roster resource has Oswald Peraza penciled in as a starter right now. And I don't see why they, they, have, him, they have him at shortstop because they've got Glaber still at second. Right. Okay. So, yeah, they got him batting eighth at shortstop behind Vader in front of Trevino. He kind of showed that that he can hang last year in that very limited taste. He got off to a terrible start in the minor leagues last year, but as everybody knows in the second half of his minor league season at AAA, he was scorched earth OPS well over 800. I think it was over 850 and, and he was awesome. And he got his chance with the Yankees and he looked good. The barrel rate certainly wasn't great. He only barreled 5% of the balls he saw, but we're, we're talking about 40 batted balls here. So it's not exactly a huge sample size, but in that small amount of time, he kind of just, he didn't give you any reason to think like, oh, you know, maybe we rushed him or or anything like that. He should, probably should have gotten more of an opportunity in the playoffs, as I know a lot of Yankee fans are upset with Aaron Boone about. So the fact that like I, I, I like all of these guys I had a really hard time with this. I like Royce Lewis. I like uh, Ezekiel Tovar. I like Oswald Peraza. I have all three of those guys in our new league, actually, which is fun. But I'm just going to take the one of that tier that is going the latest. And he's going so late that I think the 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 potential for that pick to be a hit is is pretty high. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I ended up going with a guy you just mentioned, Ezekiel Tovar, who's who's going earlier. Tovar is also penciled in as a starting shortstop for his team. It's the Rockies. And I, I just think he's a better offensive player than Peraza. I mean, that's... That's basically like, cause they were the, I also would have considered Peraza 
I, I like his upside. And I think at cores, I mean, last year he hit 15 home runs, which doesn't sound like a lot. He only played 80 games. And before you get all, you know, Coors Field, he only played nine games for the Rockies. He had one home run in nine games for the Rockies. So most of that was in double A. There's, you know, I think he's in a position to have a a really, really strong career. His carrying tool from a sort of prospect analysis standpoint is his hit tool, which I think is a great sign for a guy going to Colorado because first of all, he get it for a real high average in that park and his power can play up if it never fully develops. He isn't super fast, but he's got some 20 stolen base seasons behind him. And I think he's, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases. I just think he can do a lot of good. I also like the, especially in, in daily leagues, the floor of being able to platoon him if it comes to that, right? If he's just, not quite good enough. Like, you know, comparing him to Peraza, here's the two things I run into. One is if Peraza is not good enough, he will lose his job. Like Peraza is going to be on a relatively short leash because it's New York and everybody's on a short leash all the time. And because Volpe is coming. And so he's, he has to earn his job basically every day. Whereas Tovar, it's Colorado and who else is going to play that position? The other is that if if Peraza is not good, he's just sort of from a fantasy perspective, not going to be that good, even if he's great defensively and holds the job. Tovar, at the very least, I'll be able to play him at home and get value from that perspective. So that was why I went with him. From a worst ADP value, I mean, this is a guy that's interesting. You and I both have this guy on our top 10 list, and then you're like, nope, still the worst value ADP. So... <laughs> Why'd you go with O'Neill Cruz? Yeah, I mean, longtime Keeper Cut listeners will know that you and I both really like O'Neill Cruz. And look, I, I, he he could be a top 10 pick next year. All the tools are there, right? Like he's got the speed of a god and the power of Aaron Judge. Like all the raw tools are there. We all know that. But the fact that he's already going around pick 75 is just... It, to me, it's 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 the overvaluing of stolen bases getting pushed way up because I could see O'Neill Cruz finishing the season with a strikeout rate over thirty percent, a batting average around two thirty, and terrible counting numbers outside of home runs because he plays for Pittsburgh and they're not trading him, whereas they might trade away Brian Reynolds before the season even gets started. So, I mean, like, are we really paying top seventy five price for like, I don't know? Let, let's be super um, generous and say thirty steals, like. I don't know that that's a lot to pay for a guy who could hit 230 with 60 runs and 70 RBI. Just yeah. I don't see it. So in a keeper league, I'd love to have him, but not not in redraft that high. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. My, my worst ADP value. I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna spend any time on this because we've done this before, and I don't want to make myself angry. Uh, I just went to the doctor. My blood pressure is good, and I'd like to keep it that way, but. Stop taking Bobby Witt Jr. in the first round. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I listened to, I, I tweeted about this, Pete. I know you, you saw this, but I listened to Wins Above Fantasy like last week and maybe it was the week before. I can't remember. But they also talked about this. They were talking about like, you know, th- their whole episode was just reactions to some early ADP data. And I can't remember if it was uh, Steve Gaswelli or Van Burnett who said it, but they were just like, I just, I just don't get it. And I was like, thank you. I'm not alone. It just, so yeah, let's be very clear here. 
Bobby Witt Jr. was not a first-round value last year. There's no reason to think he'll be a first-round value this year. Stop taking him there. Let him fall. He is the worst ADP value at shortstop, and I don't think it's close. <laughs> Moving on, prospects to stash. Uh, this one is, your your pick is almost sad because he shouldn't be a prospect to stash. He should just be like the guy starting in Minnesota. But Royce Lewis, the man just can't stay on the field. Yeah, two torn ACLs, um, which, you know, it's hard to really say like, oh, go stash this guy that everybody knows about and his tore a ligament in his knee twice. Like it's not that ringing of an endorsement or hard hitting analysis here. I just I just think he's legit. Like <laughs> if if he plays, I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, Steamer's projecting him for a WRC plus of 125. I don't know if he's going to be able to stay in the field. I don't know when he's going to come back. It doesn't sound like it's that. It sounds like the type of thing where they're going to be a little bit conservative. And certainly the Carlos Correa acquisition is going to factor into this a little bit. I don't know what that means for how their infield shakes out. But I do know if Royce Lewis is healthy, he's going to play and he's going to hit. And so if you can get him as a buy low, especially now after the Correa signing, and he's not going to start the season with the Twins, he's going to be hurt. He's going to have to rehab all that stuff. He'll go through the, the typical bumps that every rookie does. I think the final result is you're going to end up with a pretty awesome player who has a great hit tool, does not strike out too much, can hit for a lot of power, and you're going to get him at a discount because it when it rains, it pours, and it is pouring for uh, Royce Lewis. Yeah, and Lewis, I mean, the thing that, that and I felt this way when the Twins signed Correa, and I'm like, you know, I feel like as a Cleveland fan, I got to be careful what I say because I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm hating on the twins here because that's not my intention. But like they just signed Correa, who we saw two other teams pass on because of his medicals. There's uh, no lack of knowledge of the history of Byron Buxton and injuries. Jorge Polanco has had injuries on and off. Royce Lewis has had injuries basically as much as he's played. Alex Kirilov has been sidelined by injuries. And yes, every team has injuries. Every player's had injuries here and there. But like, these are players that this team is built around at some level that have all had significant injury, either issues or risks. And I don't know. I like, I feel like, I feel like we're six months away from a, from somebody putting out a tweet that goes viral that says, wow, the Twins IL has the best lineup in the AL Central. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm just putting out there now. So that if I'm not the one who sends that tweet, you know, I said it first, but like, <laughs> man, I, they just, it just feels like a lot of risk there. And maybe that's, you know, I don't know. I, I on the one hand, they can end up with this, like a 50 win season one year when all those guys are hurt. On the other, they could win like 120 some season if they're all healthy and if they find some pitching because their pitching is meh. But um, yeah, it just seems like a lot of risk there. And, and and Lewis is another piece of that. But I agree with you on the talent side. As for me from a prospect to stash, I mean, <laughs> shortstop, I'm looking at, I pulled up Eric Cross's uh, top 400 for fantasy leagues. And I'm just looking at guys who have short, who are listed as shortstop there. I don't know how many of them are eligible, whatever, but he has Gunnar Henderson, Ellie De La Cruz, Jordan Lawler, Anthony Volpe, Ezekiel Tovar. I haven't gotten outside his top 10 overall yet, by the way. This is still his top 10 overall. Those are all shortstops. Noel V. Marte at 14th, 
Jackson Holiday at 21st, Marcelo Mayer at 23rd, Royce Lewis is 27th. Like there are just there's shortstops all over this list. And so I'm gonna this is a total cop out, but like just any of them. Like just go get like if you're looking to stash, I mean, at some level, this is this is a the answer is if you're going to stash a prospect, make it a shortstop. There's so many good shortstop prospects. If they stick at the position and perform, now you've covered a really tough to fill position. If they perform and don't stick at the position, that's fine. There's lots of places for them to move. Like shortstops can move to third base, to second base, to the outfield. Like they can go all over the place. So they don't they don't have to carry themselves defensively to stick around. So yeah. If I was picking if I had to pick one of them right now to stash, um, I'm not gonna count Gunnar Henderson because he is, you know, gonna be in the opening day lineup for the Orioles. So the guy I would pick if I had to pick one would be Ellie Dela Cruz. Like I'm looking, you know, he's got like 70 grade raw power, um, potentially 60 grade game power from a shortstop who also has 70 grade speed. Now the hit tool has got some questions. And if you look at his minor league track record, like he has been hovering around a 30% strikeout rate pretty consistently. He's continued to move up, I think, because they need to challenge him. Because even though he's striking out that much, he just hammers the ball when he hits it. And his numbers overall have been really good. I do have some concerns that as he continues to move up, at some point, those strikeouts are going to catch up to him. And it's it's really a question of like, do the strikeouts catch up to him before he figures out how to limit the strikeouts? If he does figure out how to limit the strikeouts, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I love that pick. I think it's Adam Adam Howe um, of On the Wires and another huge Ellie De La Cruz fan. But I mean, it, it's a player who everybody is becoming a fan of. It's a name you brought up twice there that I wanted to ask you about because I was reading Scott White um, of CBS Top 100 Fantasy Prospects for 2023, which must be a really difficult article to write because I don't think 100 prospects are... Uh, anyway, yeah. in just 2023, but um, he kind of expects Gunnar Henderson to get enough looks at shortstop this year, enough starts at shortstop this year to not only have eligibility for the current season, but for at least next year as well. So where would he rank in your list looking at your top 10? Where would you slot him in? Would he make your list? Goodness. Um, yeah, and I'm looking, I think like it does seem, it appears that he is going to be there their shortstop. So I, I suppose, yeah, at some point this season, he'll have shortstop eligibility. Boy, where would Gunnar Henderson fall on my top 10? I mean, at some level, he is what people think wit is <laughs> like he's, he's the same power speed combo, except he's actually a good hitter. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, if I really think that, then theoretically he moves up to fourth and goes ahead of Wit and behind Tatis. Wow. Um, but I, that seems a little aggressive. So maybe he's a little bit lower than that. But yeah, if I'm considering Gunnar Henderson among my shortstop eligibles, which you know I, I was focused on, I, I didn't, he wasn't on the list I was working off of. Yeah, I was using. I don't, I don't know if I could actually move him up. I don't know if I could actually move him up ahead of Wit, but 
I maybe maybe what I'm really doing is trying to talk myself into moving Wit down, but like <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he could I think he could go Homer for Homer and steal for steal with Wit. Actually, that's not even true. I think he has more power than Wit. I think he could go steal for steal with Wit and hit more homers and have just a better offensive profile. No, he can't go steal for steal with Wit. Okay. <laughs> He's a better hitter than Witt. I think he can outdo him in home runs, average, and runs in RBI, but lose to him by enough in steals that they're still pretty close to each other. He's a little bit riskier than Witt because he hasn't really done it at the major league level. He did kind of last year, but it was only 132 plate appearances versus the full season. And I'm not ready to put him ahead of Seager, but I will put him ahead of O'Neill Cruz. So I've got Witt fourth, Seeger fifth. I would put Gunnar Henderson sixth and drop Cruz to seventh, Lindor to eighth, Wander to ninth, and Cray to tenth with Dansby falling off. Yeah, I was, I'm in the same exact spot where, I mean, I'm a bigger Wander fan, so I, I'm going to keep him below Wander, but I have him right ahead of O'Neill Cruz. So I'd have Lindor, Seeger, Franco. That's my five, six, seven. And then I would have Gunnar Henderson eighth. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I think Cruz is an interesting comparison, right? Like they've they've got, in some ways, similar skill sets. I guess it's a sort of unfair. Cruz that really does have more power, but Gunner's got pretty good power. So they're they're both aiming to be similar players. And Gunner's been a little bit more successful in his, in their brief major league careers. So I guess that's the answer. But it's an interesting one for sure. So anything else we should talk about? Any other names we didn't mention that you want to make sure we get a, a minute on? No, not at these positions. Just, you know, don't don't wait too long on second base. And I think shortstop, there's a there's a big drop off that takes place that it, it's a deep position because there's a lot of good players there. But if you really miss out, then like that drop off, I think it's after Jeremy Pena or after Carlos Correa. I think it's I think it's pretty significant. Where like you're if that's your starting shortstop, someone after that group, then then you you're going to be at a disadvantage against your opponents at that position. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's yeah. Looking at the last couple of weeks, it's like Adamas going 100, Pena 112, Correa 116, and then at 129 you get Ahmed Rosario, Nico Horner, who I actually really like, but from a fantasy perspective is sort of only okay because he just doesn't do enough of the the five categories is 139. And then there's a big drop to Javi Baez at 169, Tyro Estrada 177. Like it just gets ugly quickly. So yeah, I think that makes sense. With that, we'll we'll wrap things up. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. I guess we'll, we'll probably be on outfield by then, huh? We've covered the infield now, so that'll be next. So come back and listen for that. Hope you have a good couple of weeks. We'll see you soon. 